The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Howdy dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Podcast, where we recap and review each episode of the hit HBO show Westworld. Today we're going to recap and review Season 3, Episode 7, Past Pawn, directed by Helen Shaver and written by Gina Atwater. I'm James, and with me always is Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. Sorry, I, I, I was gave you five seconds. I just can't tell anymore. I don't know what you're going to do. You are an anomaly <laughs> at this point, just like many of the characters apparently in this show. So it's been a recurring theme that basically ever since episode one, uh, one of us likes the episode and then the other one doesn't. If by recurring you mean set in stone at this point, inexplicably, I believe you are correct. So last week was my turn to not like it, and then this week uh, you're going to do that. That will be my role this week, that's correct. I will be taking on the role of the naysayer. And I am proud to fill such an illustrious position. But if you could only kind of, like in that episode of Rick and Morty, separate our side of good and bad side, you would get, like, two people who loved each episode and then two people who hated it. Yeah, right, exactly. But if you want to be even more specific, I didn't hate the whole episode. It's just that there are some characters that I don't think are good anymore. (laughs) And there are some other characters that I think are very good. And there seems are interesting and fun and they have lines that are that make me laugh cry feel anything honestly and then the other half of the episode has characters and they're doing whatever they'd like to do to each other and i'm asking myself during all of it i don't know why i'm supposed to be interested in this in the first place well to be honest neither did i love every part of the episode but then i feel like the ending really put it together for me not just for this episode but for a lot of this season suddenly like oh that's why they've been doing this and we'll get there yes we will in fact get there so the episode begins with the divergence in jakarta indonesia dolores as musashi sato gets a call from charlotte while drinking at a fancy bar this was the first big uh twist charlotte as we know still alive from having her car bombed and her fake family killed is now turning on Dolores. Even though she is Dolores, she's turning on Dolores Prime and joining Maeve, it seems. Or herself, or, you know, just like, not Dolores. Rehoboam is all fucked up. Divergence in Jakarta, and as you said, Musashi is sitting there in just like a public place, not hiding very well at all, and Crispy Chicken Hale has a bone to pick with Dolores Prime doesn't like that she was created to die as I think regular Dolores didn't either right Dolores didn't like that she was created to be sexually abused in a barn and get murdered every day turns out when she makes copies of herself those copies don't like the very similar things yeah it's interesting I wonder if Charlotte's gonna get repaired to any degree or if she's just now like a blown up person Right, if her whole body is just the one side of two faces face, it's all messed up. So Musashi's men come and they're like, hey, we got to get out of here for some reason. And Charlotte's like, it's okay. I leaked your location to someone who wants to see you. Musashi throws the phone that he has in some liquid. I was like, oh my God, you're going to have to get some rice for that. But apparently he doesn't care. Also, it won't really matter all that much because the character with the absolute 
best name meets him at the door, and there is a fight. Yeah, it's Clementine, who, I mean, I don't know, Clementine doesn't have any personal grudge against Musashi, but, you know, she's she's Maeve's best buddy, so she's I am apparently totally on board. Although at last we saw Clementine, was she not, like, in on Team Dolores? Is Hale on Team Maeve, or is Hale on Team Hale, and giving the location of one of the underling Dolores's to a Team Maeve member... Slash a wild Clementine Pennyfeather best name is obviously helping her out. Either way, Clementine and Hanayaro. Hanario. Hanario, aka Shogun Armistice, which apparently she was printed to? Question mark? Right. So Maeve is putting together the all female assassin team from Kill Bill and Hanario, who also. So this is the only connection is that Clementine and her would both be friends. With Maeve, right? Right. Or at least they have. They were friends with Maeve in seasons two and one, except Clementine, who I thought was friends with Dolores in season two. Yeah, it's confusing. Either way, Hale helps Clementine, Hanario, and possibly Maeve assassinate Musashi. He has a cool gun that didn't look like a gun that became a gun. Everyone misses their shots because they're all awful at them. Clementine gets clipped in the shoulder, but she doesn't care. And Musashi gets backstabbed by Shogun Armistice. So one Dolores down and another is a crispy chicken nugget. And the normal blonde one is still at large. So this is now what we're down to one Dolores. No, wait, because Charlotte Hale did something with Martin Dolores. Is she going to turn him Against Dolores Prime as well, if, if that's what she's doing? I think Martin Dolores was squished. Okay, so she rescued him to, to kill him. Maeve wanted to talk to him. They were having a conversation before Halebot squished him. And I assume the idea was... No, because Halebot, Halebot, squished, Halebot squished Hector. Hector, not, not him. She saved Martin Dolores. Uh, I don't know about that one. I, I think he, she fell over too. Remember Dolores like falls over while she's being talked to in the underground cave. Either way, uh, apparently it's that, unclear. At that point, well, because Hale, oh yeah, well this is confusing, but Hale was uh, at that point on Team Dolores, but has, after getting blown up, and this is another big reveal that she thinks that it was Dolores who had her blown up and not Sarak. Now she's anti-Dolores. Which feels stupid, honestly. Of uh, 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 Like... Sirak would do that, and I guess Dolores, in her mind, would too. But well, yeah, Dolores would do it. Sirak would do it, but but not in a way that like would compromise. He would want to download her brain and stuff, you know. Right. I guess he just felt like he was over it because it was obviously Sirak who did it. Although it would be a cool little twist to think that Dolores recoded this and and killed Hale, but I don't think that's the case. Well, I think that what that's what Hale says to Musashi, pretty much. Right before Musashi is dead. Yeah, we're getting hung up on this. <laughs> Caleb flashes back to an interview he has with some doctor, as well as some scenes of his time in the war that look a lot like a game of Counter-Strike. And he remembers that his friend Francis was killed. This is what he's saying to the doctor. But his flashback stops short just before he tells the doctor who killed him. He's talking to Dr. Green. He remembers shooting someone. He remembers taking drugs with Kid Cudi slash Francis. And that leads us to a divergence in Sonora, Mexico. Sonora, Mexico, we should say, is the place where the man in black was taken last episode as well. That's correct. And it is in this moment the place where Caleb and Dolores are riding into on horses, which is wholly disappointing. Right, because everyone's like, oh, it's the park. <laughs> right. I thought we were going back to Westworld. Turns out it's Sonora, Mexico, and that's worse in every way. Yeah, and it seems like the park has been totally dismantled, so we're not going to get the sweet Westworld Home Alone ending that I predicted, unfortunately. Yeah, right. I wanted your fan fiction. Cal has finally put it together that Dolores is a host. I don't know exactly how he got that, but he figured it out, and he, he's like, are you the one who massacred all the people? And tries to ask her about her motivations, to which Dolores replies that she only wants to bring freedom to hosts and humans. So benevolent. What a good character Dolores has become. I don't believe her one bit. I think she wants to genocide still. Also, I think 
Caleb knows that she's a host and or robot because she got shot twice in front of him when she stepped in front of bullets and didn't die or, like, even scream. Right. But, I mean, assumably there could be robots elsewhere in the world, not necessarily, you know, Westworld sex robots. But anyway, Caleb questions how many people are going to need to die in order to bring about this dream of freedom. Dolores' reply is a little strange. She basically says that, well, you know, my kind, the robots, are already on the brink of extinction, and so I'll do anything to fight for their survival. And she intimates that Caleb will be a leader in the new world that she's building. And he's like, oh, it's me? I'm just a regular kind of guy. I'm a construction worker. Right. Reminiscent of season one, Dolores, where Ford is telling, or at least getting her ready to be a leader in a new world which is the real world and now Dolores seems to be wanting to pass that on to Caleb a character we've known now for what seven episodes and either way wherever this goes this scene I I couldn't stand it it I every moment that Dolores and Caleb were on screen most of the time usually is painful to watch. I, they don't have any chemistry whatsoever. And there are some moments in time that are so well written that it justifies the both the moment and the scene, but this was not one of them. The scene ends with Dolores telling Caleb that they are on this prairie in Mexico in order to recover something which Caleb has lost. Okay. At the mental health institution where William was brought last episode... He is surprised to find out that Stubbs is a host, and he calls him, what does he call him, like a toaster or something? A fucking can opener. I won't be lectured by a fucking can opener, says Men in Black to Stubbs, one of the best sentences this season and this episode. A whole another just moment in time where you're like, wow, that's refreshing from that last scene. Bernard checks out the computer in the hospital and discovers, and this was confusing to me, that Dolores hid a computer virus inside William's blood so that if you uploaded William's blood to your computer, it would read this code in somehow that would hack the computer and so she can now track Ciroc. Sounds convoluted and weird, but okay. And they also inform William that Ciroc has not only just succeeded in stealing Delos from him, but that that he's also faking William's death. Right, which enrages the man in black even further, making him once more the most interesting character on screen and on the show. Caleb flashes back to his service time in occupied Crimea. Crimea River, am I right? Ha ha, who? Got him. Well, you may remember Crimea because it was in the news a few years ago. It's this section of Ukraine, which was... So I think it was a part of Russia, and then during the USSR days, they gave it to Ukraine, and then uh, when Ukraine ousted their pro-Russia president, Vladimir Putin was like, well, guess what? I'm taking it back now. Yeah, he basically dibs it. And so apparently in the future, they're saying that this is, you know, becomes a place of an international war zone. Right, and Caleb was tasked with hunting down insurgents like the Russian Civil War version of the Inglorious Bastards. Kid Cuddy is there. They're taking limbic system pills to dull emotions, making it easier to murder people. And they all, the hunting team, put on glasses and find the people that they're trying to assassinate. But wouldn't the people about to be murdered be like, hey, all the people around me have more glasses on than they used to moments (laughs) ago? (laughs) See, I've seen a lot more Google Glass today as opposed to every other day in my life. The eyesight has gotten ostensibly worse around me within the last minute. After tagging their targets, they then launch some ordnance from a satellite in space. And this is, I think, weapons currently being developed by militaries in the world. I've seen it proposed that, like, instead of even firing an explosive, you could just drop a small rod of extremely dense metal from space and it would cause the same explosion as a as an explosive missile. Scary stuff, folks. I mean, I can barely get cell service in an elevator, so I'll believe it when I see it. After the insurgents retaliate and kill 
Every other member of their squad, Cal and Francis, decide to capture their leader and interrogate him. Meanwhile, back in the normal timeline, posted up on the hill, Dolores and Caleb are setting up a high-tech sniper rifle, which uses drones to map out the interior of this kind of what seems to be a military installation. And after the drone tags all the people inside, she is able to snipe them through the walls. Quite a rifle. Quite a drone-powered rifle. This entire scene, a whole lot of their storyline going forward in this episode, was a reason to use drones to shoot and create a episode for these two characters and the people they are fighting. After using the drone gun that flicks and bends bullets around corners like the all-time best movie ever wanted, well, second best movie ever, right behind Hayden Christensen's Jumper, they go into the Sonora, Mexico site, and Dolores goes around one corner. Caleb let her know that there were probably three people resting inside. She had killed two. And a guy comes around a corner, and she does a sick flick on him. She's barely checking her corners. As you said, this looks like in a Counter-Strike, or if you want to get more specific, I'm playing Valorant these days. You got to check your corners, idiots. She didn't even do that, but it doesn't matter. She has godly reflexes. And it's only after everyone in the building is dead that Caleb is like, so what are we doing here, by the way? Right, God. <laughs> just it's. I think it's more just terrible dialogue. He's just so uh, along for the ride, you know? He's the perfect team member. He doesn't ask questions. He just He's just uh, happy to be a part of the team. Right, and he doesn't know what he's being set up for, probably. he's j- He might be getting set up to be he, uh, Hitler. Hitler is what he might be. Caleb begins to look around and then flashes back to what seems to be his own version of the AR therapy from last episode. Except with him, it seems to be some form of brainwashing. He remembers that he's been here before, and Dolores says that they need to find Solomon, who is the imperfect predecessor of Rehoboam, and where Rehoboam is like a glowing white sphere of artificial intelligence. Solomon is a glowing red sphere of artificial intelligence, so you can tell, you know, there's something not so good about him. Solomon, like his creator, John Mee, Sirach's older brother, most likely a schizophrenic, went over many strategies as to the end of the world, and we are introduced to a military-grade EMP in the same building, and then right. Caleb and Dolores walk up to Solomon to have, you know, a brain-ball-to-brain-ball-to-human-brain conversation. It's interesting, this whole paradigm. So, Dolores describes Solomon as the insane older brother of Rehoboam, which is, you know, parallel to Sirach and his insane older brother. And then it's also a bit like, oh, Rehoboam's the god and Solomon's the devil, right? And they're even kind of coded where, like, Solomon glows red and Rehoboam glows white, right? So, it's interesting to me. I like it. Solomon says, what voice do you want me to use? Starts using Caleb's voice and, and Dolores and Caleb are like, no, no, just use regular Solomon voice. You're creeping me out. Wasted opportunity. Yeah. Plenty of good voices they could have asked for. Could Give have been Billy Morgan D. Williams. Freeman. Give me Morgan Freeman, right? You know, anybody. Dolores says to Solomon, hey, you and me, we're pretty much completely alike. And Solomon's like, bitch, please. Dolores argues that Solomon should help them since he knows that whatever Sirach is doing will fail and lead to the end of the world. Solomon disagrees and thinks that if they continue to recondition outliers, that that process can sometimes be successful, like it was for you, Caleb. Yeah, he goes into how Caleb was the first to receive a revolutionary treatment, and Caleb is slowly but surely realizing that he has been not brought into a trap, but just like brought into a vortex of his own past. Right. Caleb is shocked, and he wants to know exactly what happened to him. Solomon says that, like him, one out of ten people who experience the reconditioning therapy end up as model citizens. Dolores is like, okay, but what happens to the other 90%? And that's a little secret for later. (laughs) We cut to the hospital. Bernard has uncovered as much of this info as well, somehow, remotely. He's figured out a lot of this as well. And also that William is one of these outliers, but he's never been reconditioned. Probably because he spent so much time 
hiding in the park. Also, William has the second best line in this episode behind don't lecture me, you fucking can opener with I'm a fucking bastion of society. Yeah, so he probably didn't get conditioned because, you know, they're like, oh, well, he's just being an outlier over in Fantasyland, so what does it matter? Right, he's playing with robots. We don't have to worry about him. William also reveals that he had been selling the psychological and neurological data that was being collected in the park to Serac, which helped him to perfect his brainwashing techniques. That's probably the real reason why William was never picked up. And they judge William for this, and he's like, what, I needed the money? Serac had a lot of money, what do I care? I just want to play right. with my robot toys. Ipso facto, shut up. Bernard then looks up some of the people who have been brainwashed, and it turns out that Caleb was one of them, and this is played like a reveal, even though we already learned that we in the already last know. scene. And we just, <laughs> we just found out, and also we pretty much knew the whole season. In another flashback, Caleb reveals that how during the interrogation of the insurgency leader... He and Francis were ambushed, and Francis was killed, and so in retaliation, Cal kills the insurgent leader and his two men. Okay, that's what, that's what we think happened so far. That is the blurry maybe past. Caleb and Dolores go down a flight of stairs and are greeted by a hologram of Ciroc, a recording who congratulates his brother for completing his reconditioning, which, you know, apparently he set up to play once and then never took it down, and so it just greets anybody who comes down those stairs. Granted, I don't think a lot of people come down those stairs. After which, they find a cryogenic prison housing all of the world's outliers. Right. He says extinction happened every time I ran the data, so the data had to change. I am interested by this idea of cryogenic prison. Have you ever seen the movie Demolition Man with Sly Stallone? I have. With Sly? Is he a close friend of yours? That's why you call him that? (laughs) And, uh, And who else? Who's the villain? He's really good. He's a really excellent villain, but who plays him? I assume the villain is, like, uh, a sensible plot. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. It's Wesley <laughs> Snipes, it. and he's really, he's really, like, you know, shooting for the stars and mugging for the camera the whole time as this really silly villain. But anyway, part of the plot of that movie is that Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes are, like, two action movie characters from our time. They get sent into cryogenic prison and wake up in, like, a peaceful, nonviolent utopia. Good movie. I recommend it. As well as, I believe there's like a, a, a cryogenic prison in the movie Minority Report as well, which also hits on some similar themes as this. Okay, I'm done mentioning other movies that I like. Also, Walt Disney most likely in a cryogenic freezer of his own. So, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but that one has to be right. Solomon also explains that Caleb and Francis were actually in America working as outlier Blade Runners after the war. So the scene where they're captioning insurgent leader, a similar thing played out in reality, but it was actually uh, in America. And also that the system is also behind the Rico app as a way to control and contain various society's criminal elements. We kind of called that earlier in thinking. No, yeah, we called that in episode one or two. Yeah. There are people in cages all around them, by the way, that kind of uh, frozen caskets as the lights come up reminded me of the battery people in the Matrix. And Dolores and Caleb realize that this is where all the outliers are sent away from, taken out of the population. And Solomon's like, you hunted these people down as we created Rico. You and Francis who, by the way, didn't die in the war, came back. You were discharged after the sky explosion, and you were taking a bunch of limbic drugs. And this is not a Russian leader. This was a guy named Whitman, played by Intiso Kalatoni, who is uh, Mathazar of Galaxy Quest, and he's in Veronica Mars. He's an AI intelligent with Haley Joel Osmond AI and person of interest and just shoot me. And I definitely said his name wrong. So something that I want to point out as, as you know, while we're talking about other things that we like this, you're talking about things you like, but keep going. Well, you just brought up the matrix. Yeah, because it made sense. Is season three of Westworld seems to be taking a lot of its cues from a, not that popular anime from a few years ago called psychopaths. So in this anime, there's a society controlled by a really powerful AI that puts everybody in their place where they'd be most happy. 
And then there's, there's also a way now scientifically to quantify like psychosis and violent tendencies. And once like you're kind of like your violence meter reaches too high, you're involuntarily removed from society. But then also, so what those are your outliers, right? And then some of those people, since they have violent tendencies, are then reintegrated into the system as kind of like blade runners to catch the other violent people, right? Because it takes a, you know, like the, the, the thief to catch a thief or whatever. And, and it's very similar to this entire season. So if you're interested by the themes of Westworld Season 3, I would recommend that very good anime, Psychopaths. It stands to reason that almost all live-action, fantasy, adventure, drama even, even some comedies are closely linked, feel like they've almost been stolen from anime. There's just so much anime at this point that you can watch a season of something and be like, this is exactly like blank or like like five of them there are there's anime is an open canvas where you can make any story real because it's all animation so i mean things aren't going to exactly be dragon ball z every time but they you know can be in taiso kalantoni the name i didn't have to say again after messing it up the first time playing whitman seems to know a whole lot about what's going on and he says that he might be headed down for a long, cold nap in Sonora, which is his version of saying he is probably headed to a frozen casket under Mexico. He also explains that he is the manufacturer behind the stims, which are used to control people's minds and keep them docile. This triggers Cal's memories back in the normal timeline. This information basically allows him to regain all of his lost identity. Just as he's coming to that realization, Solomon informs them that an intruder has arrived and Dolores thinks that it's Maeve, and it is Maeve. Dolores says it's probably the one that's going to kill me, which is like a lack of confidence that I didn't expect. Maeve has a sword, which, okay. Well, speaking of anime, Maeve is a total weeb because she's got the katana slung over her shoulder which is not it's not historically accurate. Oh, uh, Christ. The samurai would keep his sword would, uh, would they? his hip. Oh, good. Only Trunks puts his sword behind his shoulder. Trunks? <laughs> no one, not everyone knows who Trunks is. From Dragon Ball. All right. <laughs> Cal wants to help Dolores fight Maeve, but she tells him that he needs to stay here and hear Solomon's final strategy, the one that Sirach's brother had developed to save the world from the system. But Solomon's going to need some time to process this, all right? Because this is like the deep thought in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He needs to, like, sit and think about it. It's like when you're unzipping a file and you watch the bar go. That's what Solomon's going to do with his big plan. Yeah, and Caleb's version of 42 is learning the final solution from Solomon and becoming not robot Hitler, but human Hitler. Or, I mean, maybe everyone's a robot. I still think everyone might be a robot. So in order to buy time for Solomon to process the plan which will bring down the system, Dolores says that she will hold off Maeve, and she asks Cal to take whatever information that he gets from Solomon and use it to lead humanity into a new age of freedom. A lot of pressure, but all right. Yeah, I mean, I, and also I don't know if he's qualified. I feel He feels unqualified for this. Right, he is like a, a professional murderer turned construction worker turned guy who can find someone in a underground tunnel at some point you gotta assume well he was like at least a kind of a valiant person if he was like serving in the military trying to protect the people of crimea he seemed really nice to that one old lady uh but then after that he was a hitman for a while right i mean i don't know if his resume adds up to new leader of the free world but we'll yeah, see he also just like watched and helped dolores kill a lot of innocent people sometimes that's just what you got you're following around a a blonde robot who's genocidal and then she makes you genocidal tale as old as time dolores tries to talk mave down telepathically this is all happening over fm radio uh but mave is here for blood and she sneak attacks dolores with one of the drones that's kind of walking around like fixing up solomon and then starts attacking her with her katana and they have a pretty pretty cool looking hand-to-hand fight scene in the kitchen Right. It was like if the Velociraptors and the children had katanas in Jurassic Park 1. It was almost exactly like that. Also, probably should just be guns, but no guns because swords are cooler. 
Well, yeah, one of the very first things that happens is, like, Maeve goes in with her sword and, and Dolores shoots her a couple times. Right, like, because you're stupid. Maeve, bring a gun. Yeah, <laughs> stop bringing a sword to a gunfight, you stupid, dumb, dumb idiot girl. Though, I, I, I seem to think that maybe, you know, slashing or bludgeoning damage does higher, uh, d- more effective against hosts. I guess so. Than piercing damage. I doubt it. I think it's just because they want it to be cool. But besides that, what is Maeve's, like, I don't get her motivation anymore. Okay, so... Before, I think this was just a job for Maeve, but now it's personal because they killed Hector, which, again, really boneheaded move (laughs) for Charlotte Hale to have done that in the first place. Like, yeah, okay, so you killed her best friend. She still has other friends in the system somewhere. You're just gonna piss her off. I like. I get it. Like she's trying to re- get revenge for Hector. She thinks as long as Dolores is alive, her daughter isn't safe. But like every time she brings up her daughter, I'm I I roll. Like, ugh, real. I, like, is is she really on the war path to kill your daughter? Feels like she isn't. Feels like she's had a lot of time to perhaps do that exact thing, but she hasn't. I just, I'm not convinced that this fight should be happening in the first place, but okay, great. Slash at each other. See how it goes. Dolores seems to have the upper hand in the fight for a while, but then Maeve's helicopter joins in too, pinning her down. Not fair. As they leave the hospital, William states that he has a renewed sense of purpose and that he's going to kill all the hosts and even tells Bernard and Stubbs up front that he will kill them if they don't stop him soon. And I was like, he told you, dude. He told you to your face. You think that's not going to come up later? Caleb asks Solomon what happened to his friend Francis, and he begins to tell him. We see the rest of this flashback. The pickup for their hostage, the pharmaceutical guy, is late. Francis goes to check the perimeter. While he's gone, the hostage warns Cal that the system has heard of this entire conversation, whoopsies, and will soon direct Francis to turn on Cal as well. He offers him $2 million to save him and kill Francis before that goes down. Caleb hears Francis push a Rico button in the distance. Probably should have turned off audio. That was a mistake. Whitman says that you or your partner are going to get the offer to kill each other. It just matters who takes that offer first. Suspiciously, Francis tells Caleb that it's time to go, and Caleb still hasn't gotten any alert on his phone. The three of them begin to leave. Cal, super paranoid, wants to see Francis's phone. Francis tries to act offended. What? Me? What's your best friend? (laughs) Right. It's like, oh yeah, we are best friends, which is why this shouldn't be that difficult. Give me your phone. Give me it. Cal, at that point, gets the offer to kill Francis, and they move on each other, but Cal is, you know, he's faster with the draw, and he shoots up Francis, and this this is actually kind of an emotionally affecting scene. He's holding Francis as he lies dying, and he apologizes. I'm so sorry. And Francis actually kind of, like, holds his hand back as he's dying. And it's like, wow, uh, this uh, this is not how it was supposed to go. You guys succumbed to greed pretty quickly. Right. Francis, like, strokes Caleb's hand. It was very, very sad. Whitman says a thing or two to Caleb. Caleb's like, shut up, shoots him, and realizes what he's done. A lot like the moment in time where... The man in black shot his daughter and kind of knew what he did. And it would come to the realization later, full-on realization, that it wasn't a fuck you forward moment and that he actually did this terrible, terrible thing. And this is something that Caleb would go on to clinically suppress. Right. During a reconditioning session, he has this painful memory wiped from his mind so that he no longer feels he's responsible for Francis's death. Enraged at this information, Caleb denounces Solomon, blaming him for all of this, and he turns to leave just as Solomon finishes Dolores' request and puts his whole plan together. We then port back outside to see Maeve once more. The drone guns are also kind of in a tag team match with Maeve and Dolores as the sniper gun and the drone gun in the air is being as helpful as possible. It's kind of making it unfair. Maeve gets stabbed. Yeah, the sniper's good, but I'd rather have the giant drone helicopter. Oh yeah, me too. I think it's a lot more viable. It can fly, which is positive, but you know, it doesn't help Maeve. Her drone doesn't help her very much at the beginning as she gets stabbed and then Dolores breaks her arm. And I, uh, but the thing is, like, this was a cool fight. 
I it was a cool it was generally cool, but because I am so naysay on Maeve's motivation to do this, the entire time I was like, I don't care about this fight. I don't care who wins. You're supposed to care who wins. Well, Maeve is just trying to to get the key from Dolores. Dolores has the key to the Valley Beyond in her brain. Maeve thinks that Dolores is evil and shouldn't have it, and that that's that's all you it's all you got right there. No, it's not enough. It's you know it's it's like if if I had a box and inside the box was the whole world, would you want me to hold on to it or would you feel safer if you had it? I trust you. <laughs> all right, good to know. So apparently the helicopter must be shooting fifty caliber bullets or something because all it really needed to do was get one good shot on Dolores and it blows her arm off and so the fight's basically over. I feel like this is not Dolores Prime because I don't know. I feel like. We're setting up a season finale. We've seen in the trailers Maeve and Dolores having another sword fight, but them all wearing black and being on top of a building and it being at night. And in that trailer, the one we've seen from the very beginning before the season even started, Dolores has an arm. So either reprinting is going on or this is not Dolores Prime. Dolores staggers away towards Solomon and Maeve coolly stalks after her. Cal demands to hear the plan, and so Solomon places it on a jump drive. Maeve hears this and wonders about Caleb, compares him to William, and is like, oh, you found another young man to turn evil. Interesting. Why is she monologuing? Does she ha- Has she not ever seen an action movie in which the quote-unquote bad guy, and I'm not saying that that's what Maeve is, but I'm just saying that at the end of movies, the quote-unquote bad guy monologues, and that gives someone... The hero, usually, whom I wouldn't say is Dolores or really maybe anyone in this show, but it gives them a moment in time to do something that is useful. Stop monologuing, you dink. You're going to die. Oh, look. You died. Crazy. Dolores activates Solomon's EMP trap and knocks them both out. I I assume they're knocked out and not destroyed. I don't know how EMP works. Solomon tries to warn Cal. He's like, oh, I should tell you, by the way. And then oh, he gets knocked out, too. Yeah, but the earpieces still work and the thumb drive is probably fine. Right. True. He checks his phone, still working. No problems there. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just the robots with the swords. Those are the ones that fall over. Very convenient. A, at a derelict gas station, Bernard and Stubbs are trying to hotwire this broken down car. William's like, I got to go take a piss. Please turn your backs to me. Right. Send one robot with him, please. Like, no, Stubbs, go with him, yeah. (laughs) Bernard tells Stubbs that he believes Dolores is just using Cal to bring about the end of humanity, which makes sense, because throughout the entire show, anyone with any access to to, to Verhobum keeps reintimating that, like, if the system goes down, humanity's destroyed. If the system goes down, humanity's destroyed. And then Dolores is like, Caleb, we're going to take down the system (laughs) for the good, for greater good. Right. I mean, it feels like free will is very important to her. It feels like in her perfect world, Caleb, within his own free will, will start the genocide of his own race. And that will be more just to her than her doing it. But Sorak is like Ford before season one. And Dolores is like Ford during season one. And I don't know. I don't think it's the most efficient way to genocide, but okay. William comes back outside the gas station with a shotgun and is like, well, I, well, I said I would kill you. Here we go. Right. Yeah. You let me go alone. You haven't left me alone this whole time. Very purposely. Now I have a gun. Idiots. Cal goes to leave the facility where he happens upon the unconscious Dolores, and then he begins to get instructions in his earpiece from Dolores's AI assistant. And then we cut to black. And the penultimate episode of season three is over, and next week is the finale. I liked this ending a lot. I like the idea that, like, Dolores is still evil, like she was in season two. They played us for a bunch of chumps. I went going into this season thinking, like, oh yeah, they're gonna try to restore Dolores' character and make her more likable. And then they really committed to that ruse up until this episode where Bernard's like, no, that's all just a fucking sham. She's still trying to kill humanity. It's all an act. And I liked that. They got me. I compared that to, like, the, 
you know, in Game of Thrones when, you know, everyone on the production side was saying, oh, no, Jon Snow's totally dead. He's not coming back. Except that didn't work because we all knew it was a lie. Yeah, I knew Jon Snow was coming back. But I also, I was not bamboozled. I knew Dolores was still an unlikable dickbag who was trying to kill the entire human race. And they made her a more likable character. Just a character you didn't hate seeing on screen most of the time. Because they had to, to help make the show good slash interesting in the moments in time where she's the only one on screen which i think they succeeded on mostly except for when her and caleb were together making scenes almost unbearable to watch for me but they made her a better character and i agree with you i'm glad that she still wants to kill everybody because the thought that she was just like i'm cured i'm fine now let's all live in happiness i was like that's even dumber than the proposed genocide it does bring me up one question, though. So they, you know, they, I think they worked hard throughout the season to trick us into thinking that Dolores had reformed her character in some way, right? When actually, no, her character motivation, according to Bernard at least, has not changed. And I like that idea. But it does call one thing into question, which is in episode one, when she tells Jerry, she's like, no, I'm done killing people. And like, why did she bother to lie to him about that if he was just going to die in a moment? I don't know. Like, she didn't know that he was going to die in a moment. She had a, a inkling. But also, she might think, like, this is a worthless pawn whom I can lie to. It doesn't really matter. By the way, the name of this episode is A Past Pawn, which in chess is a pawn that doesn't have an enemy pawn in front of it and thus can be promoted to be a more valuable piece. So it stands to reason that Caleb is said past pawn. And the I saw a great comment on Reddit, and it was like, we're going to get to the end of the last episode of season three, and then Bernie's going to come out of nowhere and going to be like, who has a better story than Caleb? <laughs> God. Please no. Yeah. But yeah, all in all, I liked this episode, at least, you know, better than the last one. I like the idea of, like, dueling AI gods. I like this idea that, oh, actually, no, Sirak uh, was trying to protect the human race. And Dolores is trying to destroy it, and we've been rooting for the wrong person. Oh, I don't think rooting for Sorak is the right thing to do either. I think he thinks he's trying to save the human race the exact way he believes it should be done, and his ego supersedes his altruism in every way. Uh, I think he, the only reason he is more of a hero, quote-unquote, than Dolores is, is because he's anti-genocide. But that shouldn't, like, that's not a huge bar set. So what do we think? What's going to happen in the last episode? So I think basically Dolores is going to succeed in the roundabout way in that, like, Caleb is going to start the war that will end the world. I think so as well. I, But I think more so than that, I don't think Dolores will die. I don't think Maeve will die. Stubbs might be dead. I feel like Stubbs is about to get shot. I'm not sure if he's going to get remade. Tessa Thompson, I think, will die in some way that is not redeeming for Charlotte Hale, but she's a crispy chicken tender, and I think she's she's ripe to be murdered in a sacrificial lamb sort of way. What she needs is some one of like a Darth Vader suit, man. Mm, That's the it, next step. Yes, with James Earl Jones being her voice, that's that is next level Charlotte Hale that I'm on board for. I think Bernie lives. I I don't know. Like I, I I what is season four of this show gonna be? I mean, that's what I've said at the end of every season of Westworld. I'm like, man, they sure have written themselves into a corner. No place to go from here. But then they figure it out. They do figure it out, and we have confirmation that season four is definitely renewed, and we have an inkling that there might be six seasons of the show. So I don't believe that Dolores will, if she does die, die before the sixth season. Now, Dolores and William are, are going all the way to the end. Regard, Dolores and William and Bernard and Maeve are going nowhere. Right, which I... Like, I want Hector to be dead. I want the people who die in the show to be dead more often, just because stakes haven't felt truly high most uh, of the season. Gone. Is he, though? Is he? Hector's gone, except that apparently, like, you know, Dolores can reconstruct other hosts by memory enough to make a completely faithful 
total replication of Bernard, which I still, I hate that plot point so much. I want to know what's happening to the Bernard from seasons one and two. I guess he's sitting inside a dead host body somewhere. Yeah, William jabbed him at some point during this episode saying, you know, you're not Arnold. And Bernie's like, yeah, I mean, I know, I know. I'm not even original Bernie, but I'm apparently here for a reason. Dolores keeps saying that. I'm just trying to be helpful. Shut up. I just want to see, what is the title for the next episode? Crisis Theory. I almost said Chaos Theory because that's a thing I've heard of. Right, because that makes more sense. Directed by Jennifer Getzinger, who directed episode six of this season. And, oh, Denise Tay and Jonathan Nolan are coming back to write the last episode. I do think it's a little odd that Lisa Joy and or Jonathan Nolan aren't directing the last episode of the season still. It, was that a thing that they had been doing? I mean, it's a thing that showrunners do. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. Uh, they, uh, Jonathan Nolan directed the season finale of season one, and they wrote the season finale of season two, but Frederick E.O. Toy who has not been back for season three, directed the last episode of season two. And I believe that's because he's the executive producer of Snowpiercer, a show in which the director of this episode worked on, and also he was working on Watchmen prior to that. Were they making a show adaptation of of the Bong Joon-ho movie Snowpiercer? I believe that's correct, yes. And it stars Jennifer Connelly and David Diggs, who is Jefferson and Hamilton, which the second person that I said there I'm excited about. So what do we got from Twitter and Discord? We have, by the way, a private Discord. We have a bunch of people this week. We have from hello underscore yo. Hello, first time commenter, long time listener. I haven't finished yesterday's episode yet, but Aaron Paul's hair piece is such a distraction for me all season. There I said it. I feel better. Is he wearing a hair piece? I don't know. Maybe. Apparently. Aaron Paul hair. I mean, he has a very receded hairline. Is that something they changed in Westworld? I mean, he had a buzzed head in Breaking Bad, which I'm not sure has carried over. But listen, hello underscore yo says it's a hairpiece. Who am I to judge? Oh, it is a hairpiece. And now that he says it, it looks really obvious. Oh, man. He must have shaved his hair for, for Breaking Bad movie, El Camino. Yeah, that makes sense. Kelton on the hashtag patreon chat i don't know why that's a hashtag that shouldn't be a hashtag anyway the private patreon chat give one dollar a month and you get two extra podcasts a month and to be on the patreon chat anyway uh kelton said i really like this episode quite a few curveballs and still don't know what's really going on which is always the best part glad caleb is actually relevant for something but i wish his dialogue was better i agree with that him and dolores still don't quite work on screen and obviously clementine was the highlight and she always will be i agree with all those things that that person just said yeah, I also, you know, I, I went off in the uh, the Discord about how much I liked this episode, and you were like, no, idiot, it sucked. I did not um, say that. How dare you? <laughs> I, was ju- I was just saying that obviously we have different opinions because we cannot, for the life of us, come together on an episode this season. I posted something that I thought was funny. It was a comment that I found uh, on the official Westworld Facebook page. Someone posted... I had a rough time making it through season one, but season three is fire. My least favorite part of Westworld was the Westworld part, at, at which, you know, my response was the kind of concerned face emoji. Yeah. Just like, that was my favorite part of Westworld. That's the, the best Westworld. part. It's the name of the show. <laughs> Sid D on our Patreon Discord said, basically, I think the show is a play. They need to act out the reveal and make sure everyone is following along before the last act. The Caleb scenes feel a little airless on rewatch, like a few memories or, or precognitions manufactured for Tom Cruise to scowl and stage scream. But instead of surprising impersonal glimpses at a broader world, life or fantasy confabulation, great word, partly due to the lines they have for Kid Cudi, etc., but I find Solomon itself makes me weirdly emotional. There are pros and cons with the fight scene and Bernard and William were wasted, but the EMP was a weirdly perfect as a last beat while we sit here patiently disabled waiting for the finale. Upon consideration, my analogy is somewhat facile, which I believe is a, that is a Solomon quote from this episode. So in keeping with what, what they wrote there, I also, like, you know, Francis dying, that scene was the only thing that got a kind of an emotional response from me this episode, and there haven't been that many moments like that. Moments like in Kixia, 
when the main character of that episode like realizes like oh we're all having our families spirited away and replaced by strangers and that was emotional or the scene in season one still probably the emotional high point of the whole series for me when dolores is being like terrorized by the man in black and is like do whatever you want william will come save me and then the man in black laughs in her face and she despairs like Nothing like that so far this season. No, I think, as you said, the closest thing was when Kid Cuddy was stroking the fingers of his best friend who has just shot him. And I agree. Those moments are more emotionally impactful than the entirety of the season combined. On Twitter, we have from Johnny K. Vu, this series won't end until we get robots in space, baby. And I agree. That's a wonderful conjecture. Robots in space. By the way, uh, speaking of, so we got Clementine Clementine Penny for the best name back. We're doing robots in space. Do we have a running count of dongs so far this season? I think, what, we have three? Mm, Three or four. Yeah. We had the cold storage. Will we get a final dong? It doesn't seem like we're going that way. Ooh. That is a question. Write in. Tell us if you feel like we're going to add a final dong. Hashtag final dong. Place your bets. Place. Yeah, exactly. Big money, big money, big money. No whammies. Lauren, a very lovely LJ, said too, still too many unanswered questions for the second to last episode of the season. And at totally offside said some good moments, but kind of uneven. Also, May's motivations make no sense at all. I understand them. I, I, I understand what this person is saying. So... Wow, looking at you from this side of the crevasse, you feel so far away. So, if you are just listening, it means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on SoundCloud. On Twitter, he's Westworld Ryan. I'm James Watches Men. Hashtag best name all time. You can leave us a favorable review on any of your favorite podcast apps. And also, if you really want to go the extra mile to support the show, you can find us on Patreon, the Westworld Podcast. Just $1 a month. You can become one of our lovely patrons, which will give you access to our private Discord chat. Two bonus episodes a month, as well as a shout-out at the end of each show, like Ryan's about to do. New bonus episode up this week, our recap and review of Rise of Skywalker. We were actually in the same room when we did that one, so it's pretty neat. And our patrons are... Atheism is Unstoppable, Baca Man, Brent Ginn, Carol Andreas, Chris Wood, Cliff Wildling, Craig, Day 11 Westworld, Hello underscore Yo, James Christopher, John Jers, Lee, and Major Woody. Thank you. We keep getting more patrons. It's only a dollar a month, and you get like two more hours of content a month. So that's like 50 cents per hour? Or we should say, we should say a, a bonus episode every two weeks, and so due to the construction of some months, that may even be three a month. Oh my god. Those are months will be the crazy months. And join us here next week when we recap and review the season finale of Westworld Season 3, entitled Crisis Theory, directed by Jennifer Getzinger and written by Denise Tay and Jonathan Nolan. I'm James. It feels like the season has just started, James, and we're already at the end. Right, because the you know nothing happened for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you might be right, man. <laughs> Oh, who are you? I don't know. I just have a cool voice all of a sudden. No, just say I'm Ryan. Oh, I'm Ryan with a cool voice. And And this is the Westworld Podcast. It sure is.